1: Here's your conservative but not bitter host, Todd Huff. You know, I was hoping today that I could come in here and talk about something that was a little bit less, I don't know, intense or just take a reprieve a little bit from what's going on out there. And that's just not going to be possible. I mean, there's some things that we'll talk about a little bit lighthearted today, but my oh my folks, welcome. Welcome to the Todd Huff Show. I am your host, Todd Huff. This is the home of conservative, not bitter talk, and you can email me your thoughts, questions, feedback. Even your adoration and praise will be ex- uh, accepted at that at this email, Todd at com. And look, there is... Uh, it's it's obvious that in order to follow the rhetoric and the i guess the um agenda of the radical left we have to we have to completely and utterly reject reality as we know it and it is blatantly obvious in lots of ways i've got uh, some tweets here from paul krugman that i want to talk about today eyes told me that she's i didn't see this she told me just as i was coming on the program that yesterday on the five yesterday on the five on fox news Juan williams suggested that the officer who shot micaiah bryant in that um, situation in ohio on earlier this week tuesday or wednesday i think it was tuesday um, suggested that the officer should have fired warning shots. Have you seen? Have you seen the video that was released from the neighbors? The neighbors' house. He had uh, cameras up, and they were looking, you know, at the street. He was directly across the street. And if you watch it, I think I believe I believe it's nine seconds. The officer arrived on the scene, was out of his car for nine seconds before he fired a shot. Nine seconds. He got out of his car. There was pushing. Micaiah Bryant, I believe, was one that went to the ground. She jumped up, grabbed, you know, pulled out her knife or exposed her knife and went to stab, swung the knife. And the officer fired, striking Micaiah Bryant. And it's, uh, it's a terrible situation, obviously. For the officer, for the family, who knows what all happened there. But the officer had no choice. And, of course, we talked about LeBron James' stupid, idiotic, unacceptable tweet yesterday telling the officer, you're next, coming after you, hashtag accountability. Accountability for what? It's tragic. We can all agree with that. We can all agree that it's tragic when a life, a 16-year-old is, is shot. But the idea that based upon what we're seeing here, and I'm watching it in the background right now in slow motion, she's got a girl basically pinned up against a car, pulling a knife back, going to, trying to stab her. I mean, this is just incredible. The officer had nine seconds. Nine seconds to make a decision. He's going to let the girl get stabbed. Should he say, please stop? Juan Williams saying, fire a warning shot. I've heard people suggest shoot her in the leg. You know, when an officer... it It is amazing to me what people think about... That don't know much about guns think about guns. And... When an officer or when you God forbid this happens, but when you decide first of all to pull your weapon if that's that's obviously a place that the situation has gotten tense to begin with. but when you choose to use that weapon, you've decided that means that I have decided that it is necessary to use lethal force because you know what even if i even if I was again. The idea that you can just strike someone in the leg, first of all, there's femoral arteries and so forth. The idea that someone still can't bleed out or die is, is naive. Of course, that can happen. But when you decide to use a weapon, you've decided that lethal force is required. Again, as I said yesterday, where is the talk about, first of all, hey, how about we don't start swinging, kni- I, uh, swinging knives at people? that's that's a big where's where's the talk of let, let's whatever fueled the situation that led this young lady who's tragically no longer here with us because candidly of her own choices based upon what we've seen here and this is considered hate speech in, in the world of in the minds of some people but because of the, the decisions that she made now she's not with us it's created all sorts of It's just terrible situations, right? For the officer, the family, LeBron James is doxing this guy, exposing who he is, could lead to something happening. God forbid to this guy. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, um, Ferguson and the officer there who is basically demonized and his life destroyed officer, Darren Wilson. Remember this? We had this guy's life destroyed, but we find out that what we were told about the crime isn't, well, we were told about officer not doing what he was supposed to do is not what happened. Instead, Michael Brown attacked the officer in his car, was shot at close range, even inside the officer's uh, vehicle. But where is the calls that say, those engaging in this sort of behavior have this has got this has got to stop. This sort of thing has got to stop. But the problem is we got people like Paul Krugman, who's a l you know, a radical leftist. Paul Krugman, I'm looking here, he wrote this um well, he wrote a series of tweets. I saw this on Fox News I, mean, I don't know if it was last night or this morning. He's basically denying basically denying that riots caused by some Black Lives Matter uh, individuals were not, didn't really happen. They were, quote, overwhelmingly peaceful. As Fox News points out, there were 18 deaths and nearly $2 billion with a B, $2 billion in property damage in cities across the country that resulted from the unrest that came from Black Lives Matter rallies. Now, as I've said before, and some of you don't even necessarily like me saying this, that look, not every Black Lives Matter protest is clearly not one that ends in violence and destruction. But the idea that there wasn't wide-scale problems because a portion of the individuals who were involved – And it may have been – look, there's, again, the peaceful groups that are trying to draw attention to and solutions for what they believe are solutions for some of these problems, some of these issues in American society today as it pertains to policing and these sorts of things. I don't have a beef with any of those people. Even if I disagree with what they're saying needs to be done, if I disagree regarding the problem, I remember having lunch with a gentleman who we, I mean, he's he's a Christian man, a good man. His perspective on this and mine were not the same. I mean, in some ways, we certainly could acknowledge what certain problems were, but in other ways, the depth of the problem, the systemic nature of the problem is something altogether different. We didn't see eye to eye on it, and we still... um you know, he was perplexed at me at some point. I was perplexed at him at some point. But I think we still had a respect and care. There are people that fall into that group. But there's also clearly people who fall into the group that are going to destroy whatever they can, loot wherever they can, uh, take advantage of the emotional situation, the circumstances. There are some that stir that up intentionally. This is un deniable this is undeniable so i want to talk a little bit about that that today as well we also have uh, we also have an interview with with jay height we do this once once a month jay height executive director of shepherd community center in indianapolis who's become a friend of this program and they really do great work and you know what? I'll say this. I'll say this. If you want to look at – now, they're not uh, – there's some issues that obviously that we're dealing with or talking about here that are outside the scope of, say, what Shepherd would be dealing with when it comes to, say, policing. But there are certainly overlaps between some of the issues and things that Jay Height's group, Shepherd Community, deals with and is trying to help address and solve that overlap into some of these other things where problems begin to begin to arise. Now those are my, that's my description, not Jay's. Jay's Jay doesn't get into the politics of this. I do. So don't, don't say these are Jay's words, but the things that shepherd is trying to do by bringing hope and to break the cycle of poverty in the inner-city community on the Near East Side of Indianapolis. There's certainly violence in that that area as well. And there's the idea that it's just policing. That's the problem here, is tremendously underestimating the, the scope of the problem. There are tons of, of issues that have created this circumstance. And one of those is clearly is clearly the attempt to politicize the issue by some leftists. Remember, remember, uh, was it Patrice Cullors, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter? She's a self-described trained Marxist. She's a trained Marxist. She's a communist. She's a, she's a communist who wants to remake America, folks. She wants to remake America and if you look at some of the Marxist techniques and strategies and you look at what Black Lives Matter is doing, you can certainly see I'm talking about the organization. I'm talking not talking about every single protester, but I'm talking about the organization itself and what it's really trying to what it's really trying to do. Some of the things not, you know, I'm not saying that all the things it's trying to do is is bad, but at at its core, the Marxist core, which she says the founders of Black Lives Matter, at least two are self-taught, self-described Marxist teachers and influencers and so forth. That is, that is evil. Marxism is evil. It's un-American. And it's, it's... terrifying that it's at the root of an organization that a lot of people are going out of their way to excuse behavior for and so forth again not every person in fact the vast majority of protesters are not doing this stuff i fully acknowledge that it's not the protesters i have a problem with it's the rioters and as i've said before it's pretty clear when a protest becomes a riot when you go from carrying poster board and signs and engaging in chants, and you start throwing rocks and starting fires and dancing on police cars and looting buildings. Surprise, surprise, you've ceased attending a protest, and now you're attending or inciting a riot that caused, over last summer, a series of riots, according to Fox News, $2 billion with a B dollars of damage, and that led to, or that involved in these riots, 18 deaths, again reported According to Fox News, so timeout is in order. When we get back, I want to share an interview I had with my friend Jay Height, Shepherd Community, talking about again breaking the cycle of poverty, um, which in some cases, not in all cases, I'm not suggesting, but in some cases, uh, some of those the problems, some of these problems like like poverty, like hopelessness, um, cultural. Uh, issues and and gang violence and things that are all kind of intertwined to uh, within some of these communities. I'm not suggesting all or even that it's always part of the problem, but it is a part of the problem in some of the cases. So they're trying to address at least part of this. I want to share that conversation with him and then we'll continue uh, with some other things as well, including some notices um, at George Floyd Square, which they're now calling the place in Minneapolis where George Floyd uh, lost his life was Died at the hands of Officer Chauvin um, almost getting close to a year ago now. So, a lot to unpack. Quick timeout is necessary. Be back here in just a minute. Welcome back. Listening here to the home of conservative. Not bitter talk again. <clears throat> going through a whole list of issues uh, today, and one of those is sharing uh, this conversation, this interview <clears throat> with uh, with Jay Height with you. So, with that being said, with that being said, I want to share this conversation with Jay Height, her friend at Shepherd. Community Center. Hope you enjoy. Well, it is always my honor and pleasure to have with us Jay Height, Executive Director, Shepherd Community Center. Jay, how are you today, sir? Welcome to the program
0: doing just a very, very blessed and uh, great, great life, life and kids and most of all grandkids and so uh, these are blessed days.
1: Well good my friend. I've, uh, I've heard a lot of folks say a lot of good things about the grandkids. I just uh, have kids myself and I've heard folks say grandkids are such a blessing so that's good to hear. So today we're going to talk about as we have been with you for for some time now this is our fourth uh, discussion about the assets to kind of help break the cycle of poverty and that's really what they are focused on doing there at Shepherd Community. Right. So today we're going to talk about emotional stability, but before we do that just really briefly, really briefly hit the other three if folks haven't heard uh, heard what we've talked about before and then they can listen to archives of the full discussion on the podcast if they want to listen to that. What are the the first three assets?
0: Yeah, of the ten, the three that we've covered, first and foremost is faith, Uh, believing not just in a God, but believing in a personal God who provides us hope and a purpose, uh, allowing (laughs) folks to have access. We talk about moving our families from sick care to health care, and so... Having access many times is the challenge around health care. And, and then having support, having those relationships who will show up when we need help. And so now we're on to the fourth, which is
1: emotional stability. I guess quickly define – I mean folks obviously have some idea what we mean by that or what you mean by that. Maybe just kind of hit a general definition of what you mean and why that's important to breaking the cycle of poverty.
0: Well, it's the ability to control your responses to circumstances, uh, particularly negative circumstances. So how are you reacting? How, can, how do you process? How do you deal with the curveball that's thrown at you uh, throughout your day?
1: So whenever someone is um, in your community coming to Shepherd or looking for ways that you're trying to help them to break this cycle, what are some practical ways that your team, that you and your team are are helping to provide or to teach folks how to be more emotionally
0: stable? Well, we are thankful and blessed to have a very talented counselor who works with many of our children, our students, and our families, but all of the staff is working with our students on how do you deal with disagreements, how do you Handle it when something uh, is, um, you know, unfair. How do you react? If someone hurts you, what do you do? Uh, God created us with an amygdala, that fight-or-flight mechanism that is to be used to help you in those dangerous situations. The problem is we've developed a generation and many times a community that lives in that amygdala. And that's not how God created us. And so you say, well, why did someone get so angry? And, you know, why, why did they immediately do that? And we see the tragedies of the violence of our communities and and, and continue to see uh, the, the results of gun violence that you say, why would someone shoot someone over that? And, uh, the stories of of people hurting each other and and many times it's they've they 've become so addicted to their amygdala that they are always in that fight or flight, and so everything sends them over the edge so
1: i' don't, i don't again I know you know you 're not the the counselor, but maybe sink our roots a little bit into this discussion of the Amygdala, and um, you know what's what's going on, and maybe even um, you know I'm, I'm thinking about, as you said before, the the analogy or the I don't know the uh, the illustration where these uh, these ten assets to breaking the cycle of poverty are like planks in a, uh, a a bridge, and if you're missing a couple, it's not that big of a, a huge deal. If you're missing half or a lot of these, then it's a major deal. You can't cross the bridge. You can't get across that chasm. Um, And I think sometimes, this is, I guess, a two-pronged question. One, uh, I think sometimes for folks who have things, uh, who are maybe comfortable not dealing with some of these circumstances, it's it's hard to recognize uh, just how much missing one of those other planes or some of those other planes can can fuel this one, I'm guessing, right? You can become more right. emotionally unstable by having less of the assets in place. So I guess talk a little bit about that relationship. And then also back with the, uh, I guess, the amygdala and what that really means and, and how that means people are, are responding and maybe how we can, I guess, be better equipped to help folks who are stuck in that
0: situation. Well, if I don't have access to health care, and I'm sick, and and if I don't have those meaningful relationships that support, uh, then I feel like I'm in it alone. I can't, you know, no one cares about me, so I don't care about them. And, you know, I'll just be real honest. This is, we've just saw a tragedy in our community with the FedEx shooting, and it mm-hmm. takes me back 15 years to the Hamilton Avenue slanes, which was our family. And um, and, and I, I'll, I'll be real honest. I grow weary of all of the rallies and the speeches and the pastors who preach a sermon. And I, what I want is for us to just go love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. But if if our neighbor doesn't feel like anyone cares for them, then every misstep of life becomes an attack and this is a way uh, you know this this undermines so many of the other assets that it lends itself to you you don't think that anyone cares and then you'll make bad choices and and most of all we know that there's a god that's the that's why the basis of our assets is we want people to know that there's a god who loves them and god who created them and and that's the foundation of our hope and and then, if we can help folks not have to live in this constant state of, of survival, uh, that, that they always feel like everything is an attack. And, and so, their reaction you, sometimes you'll say, You know, I was just trying to help you. And somebody's all mad and angry. And, and so many times I've heard, Why? Well, I, I don't want to let anyone get close to me because everyone who gets close to me hurts me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And my heart breaks for that. You know, in my life, growing up, there's people who hurt me, but there's a lot of people who love me, even when I was an obnoxious teenager, <laughs> and, and some people would say an obnoxious fifty some year old. I'm not gonna say that, Jay. <laughs> yeah, uh, but God has blessed me with people who care, and man, the way we build this is to help folks know that they, someone loves them, and then begins to model that. I think this is where sports and sports activities are very helpful. For us to to deal with losses, as a kid who loved playing baseball, and I'm probably a lot better in my mind than I was in reality, but uh, we uh, all were. I, yeah, <laughs> I love baseball, and I I played one year on a team that we hardly won a game, but I learned a lot that way. I I learned how to deal with disappointment, and I learned how to deal with frustration, and. And on those teams, I would have been one of the better players, but I I learned that it's a team. And we won as a team and as we lost as a team. And so those types of things, you know, that's why I think churches who do upward basketball or upward soccer, those are important things. And allowing kids to have those types of access. And and then we as adults, we got to encourage them. And, you know, it's it's about winning life, not winning a Mm ballgame. But... We need to help folks do their best and learn that sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine, who spent many years in the armed forces, talked about how he had to learn how to shut off his amygdala because leading tours in in uh, a, a Delta Force team in in Iraq province in the province there in Iraq, he he he'd say, you know, we always had to be on guard because someone was always wanting to hurt us, and he taught me a technique that they used of remembering. And I, I said, well, you know, that's exactly what God did. That sometimes in the we can get like this, right? Everything just keeps coming at us and problem mm-hmm. after problem. And we feel, you know, we get edgy and we get tired and we get grumpy. But if, if we, God said to have standing stones in our lives and to tell our kids how faithful God was mm-hmm. every time you go by it. And so maybe in our life, a way we can do that is to continue to remind ourselves and to tell the story to others of God's continued faithfulness in our lives.
1: Amen. That's a great. That's a great point. And to, <clears throat> as you've been talking about emotional uh, stability here, it reminds me of of something I've heard on on Dave Ramsey's program, and he talks about you know people that are in financial difficulties. And it, of course, it stands to, to common sense here, but whenever someone, uh, if you don't have any resources, um, a, a $100 or $300 repair on the car can be something that is incapacitating for you, right? And so that can, of course, lead to emotional responses and everything becomes magnified and you can see how these things are interconnected and and woven together. And I think you're you're right. You're spot on with this. We need to... Uh, we need to be there and show love and connect with people and, and genuinely try to uh, to be that support and bridge. And so, what what do you say to someone who says, "Okay, that all sounds great, Jay, but what? How do I practically do this? I, I have a small group and uh, Bible study, and and we lead it on Sundays. And you know, a lot of times it comes down to where the rubber meets the road for people. That sounds good, but what do I do? You know, how what do I do next? How do I how do I help someone in that position? What's something practical I can do? What would you say? How would you direct them?
0: Well, we can't love our neighbor if we don't know them. And according to Gallup statistics, only thirty-one percent of Americans know their neighbor. And I think COVID's probably made that worse. So mm-hmm. let's let's get to know our neighbors. And let's help our neighbors. And here's the thing, when God said, love your neighbor, he, he wasn't instructing us to love the people who are nice to us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes loving your neighbor is to that person that you really, they frustrate you, right? Mm-hmm. They leave their trash can open and the trash blows all over and you got to pick it up and it just drives you insane. <laughs> and the command from the New Testament is love your neighbor.
1: Hmm. you're an
0: exception so i think we have to get out we got to know and then find those ways that we can intersect into their life Uh, i i have been talking a lot about this and and trying to call us to love our neighbor and uh if if we it's no longer come and see what i want you to see it's for us to go and be that holy presence in our neighborhood and in Mm -hmm. our and see those people and show them God's love.
1: Well, I think sometimes our, our small group actually, and I didn't intend to talk about this, but just from what you're saying, it's reminded me, but we're, uh, we're studying a, a book written by, by Tozer and, and he's, you know, brilliant and just, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of insight there, but you know, he, he talks about, he, he, he oftentimes puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, even though he's brilliant, he, he breaks things down to a, a way to where it makes sense on a very fundamental level. And he's writing about faith, and he says at its core, faith is using the inward eyes of the soul just to look up to God, just to, just to look up to God. And so I guess to your point, maybe if we would, maybe if we would be better at doing that, more intentional at doing that, um, we would be more Aware of or open to the proddings of God on ways that we could show uh, love to our neighbor, because it's, it's not necessarily some you know grandiose action we have to take. Sometimes it's literally just being there, listening, showing encouragement, support.
0: I'm sure you see that at Shepherd. Yeah. So uh, a friend of mine told me this, um, and I, this was profound. He said, Jesus did ministry at three miles an hour. And we live at 50 miles an hour. So true. And so we miss the promptings because we're moving on to the next thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and people need less programs and they need more relationships. Amen, brother. And so uh, for me, in, as shepherd, looks at this next decade of service, it's about how do we re-neighbor the hood. I oh, love that, by the way. Yeah. How do I let my neighbors know that there's someone who cares for them? I don't want any more people to die. And yet violence will continue because it happens when people do not believe that anyone cares for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're not going to police our way out of that. We're not going to spend our way out of that it only comes when we get to know our neighbors and to say, Hey, it's not my job to represent Jesus. It's my job to represent Jesus and to represent him in a tangible way. It's, uh, you know what? I can remember a time growing up in Dayton, Ohio, when, you know, my mom would send food over to the neighbor lady, elderly lady, cause she was sick. And, and my wife and I deliver food each week. And, we had a lady say, "You know, I just made a bunch of chili, and I knew they needed some, so I took them all. This lady has very little, but she's rich because she's generous, mm-hmm. and she's she goes across the street, and that's such a, uh, you know, that's three that's ministry at three miles an hour. Hmm.
1: That's good advice. And that's a great way to say it. So. Got to wrap up here. Time is uh, is knocking on my door. So yep. folks want to get involved. Folks want to say, hey, I like what Jay's doing. I like what Shepherd's doing. I want to be a part of this. Plug me in. I'm not entirely sure, but what Jay's saying when he's on here, these 10 assets, they make sense to me. I want to be a
0: part of it. What do they do? Well, they can contact us at Shepherd Community. If you want to volunteer, Donna Alexander is our great leader who can connect you. If there are other ways that you want to explore, you can reach and call us, and uh, we could guide you on how you may want to answer the call. But I, it's a both-and. We, we want you to come join with what we're doing and what God's doing on the Near East Side, but we also want you to do it on your own street.
1: That's right. Great advice. Jay Height, Executive Director, Shepherd Community Center. Always a pleasure, Jay. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining
0: us, sir. Well, thank you so
1: much. Welcome back. By the way, I should tell you a couple things really quickly, and we're off of the time because of the interview. But that interview is brought to you by our friends at Apprentice University. With so many changes in our society these days, everyone's talking about the importance of apprenticeships and college debt. So much so that Bernie Sanders is going to make it free, folks. Businesses are seeking employees with skills who can solve problems. Visit Apprentice.University to see how you or your student can learn through demanding academics and pay from apprenticeships in excess of tuition no debt in demand skills christian community that's apprentice university we appreciate them uh, sponsoring that interview and we look even the folks here at the Todd have show make mistakes we had the we have two files with the interview one is the the radio version the other is the podcast and The only one that was operational today for us was the podcast, so I do apologize for that. That's why it sounded a little bit different there last segment, but I do appreciate Jay Height and all he does at Shepherd Community. It's a great organization, and uh, that being said, I've got to take a timeout again just to get us back on schedule uh, because of the, the length of the interview, so come back here and talk about a few other things as we get through this crazy intense week back here in just a minute welcome back i i just saw this now i'd seen the video of micaiah bryant coming out of the the house and attempting to stab a girl but her she's screaming as she comes out of the house this is as the cop uh, as the officer is pulling up she's screaming i'm going to stab the blank out of you blank she gets knocked to the ground during a scuffle then she charges the girl who's kind of pinned up against the vehicle she starts to swing a knife the officer fires several shots uh, if, if if folks can't see this for what it is, I don't think they want to. I I don't I don't know what this officer's supposed to do. Anyway, gotta take a break. Come back and wrap up. You're listening here, the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. to get into I don't have time I don't have time and but this uh, there's a cartoon called Bluey my kids actually watch it the kids actually find it quite humorous it's out of Australia I believe yeah Oz is nodding yes but apparently there's someone from ABC News in Australia who is upset that I guess I guess the dogs are white. See, when I watched this cartoon, I thought the dogs were blue and brown, the colors of the dogs. But no, apparently they're white. She's upset. There's not more dogs of color. There's not more disabled. I'm reading her quote here. Disabled, queer, poor, gender diverse, dogs of color, and single-parent dog families. Oh, my goodness, folks. I got to go. This has been a heck of a week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for listening. SDG. Take care.